Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. It's the other side of midnight with Frank Morano. I am a big fan of A.J. Jacobs. I have been for a long time. I will never forget the moment that I first became aware of A.J. Jacobs. And it was like someone flicked a switch. And all of a sudden, I was instantly more informed, enlightened, and entertained for the rest of my life. It was 2008. And I was dating a woman who had the most impressive book collection at that point of anyone that I'd ever met. And I would love, and this was honestly the most impressive thing about our relationship. I would love to go around her apartment and peruse her book collection. And I encountered this one book. And at this point it was a paperback and it looked instantly fascinating. And it was about a guy who read the entire encyclopedia. I held this book up. I said, Kate, what is this? Who is this guy? What is this story? And she said, what? You don't know who A.J. Jacobs is? If there's anybody that's up your alley, it's A.J. Jacobs. And sure enough, she was right in spades. It is. uh, And then last week, I read this phenomenal, phenomenal article about yet another one of the challenges that he embarked on. And it was written in The New York Times with his trademark sense of humor all the while peppered with an incredibly informative manner of uh, of elucidating about a very real problem that a lot of people are concerned about. I'm very pleased to welcome back to our show A.J. Jacobs, journalist and author, whose most recent book is The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling pub- Puzzles Ever, From Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. A.J., it's great to talk with you. Thanks so much for joining me on the radio. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you, Frank. And thanks to your ex-girlfriend, Kate, uh, and her yeah. uh, excellent library. Really appreciate it. Me, I will always be indebted uh, to her. So for people that are not familiar with you, AJ, shame on them. I alluded to your attempt to read the entire Encyclopedia Britannica. That was just the beginning for you. you this embarked uh, a series of challenges, a series of books for you that they call uh, the immersion journalism. Explain to folks that are not familiar with you and your work exactly what it is that you do. I immerse myself in my topic and spend a year or even two trying to live it uh, and see what I can learn. And the one you mentioned, uh, I tried to read the Encyclopedia Britannica and become the smartest person in the world. I failed, but uh, I I do still remember three or four facts. Uh, I wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically, where I tried to follow all the rules of the Bible as literally as possible. So everything from the Ten Commandments to 
growing a beard like that looked like ZZ Top because uh, the Bible says you cannot shave the corners of your beard, and I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow. And uh, and I've done several like that, and uh, it's a fun way to make a living, and I hope people continue to buy the books because I like doing them. I love reading them, and they're, they're really, really interesting, and I find them very informative. They're also incredibly entertaining. In all of these adventures, you're talking with different experts in the field, and you kind of share those anecdotes in the books that you're that you're writing. But I also think that there's an incredible educational value to all the challenges that you embark upon, whether it's uh, trying to live by George Washington's handful of, uh, of axioms for life or the, uh, the biblical living or anything like that. There are going to be folks that say, though, that this kind of thing is just a publicity stunt. Is, is there any truth to that, AJ? Which, uh, by the way, I don't have a problem with if it is. <laughs> Well, I would say, I mean, the definition of a stunt is something that's designed to get attention. So, yes, shockingly, as a writer, I do want people to read my books. So I would say that. Um, But as you say, I hope that they are also enlightening and it's not just just purely to get attention. I hope it's uh, able to teach me something, make my life a little better. Uh, And I always think about, you know, the uh, you could argue that uh, some great things were stunt. Michelangelo painting the ceiling of a, a cathedral—that's kind of a stunt. Not that I'm Michelangelo, uh, although I did kind of just compare myself to him. <laughs> well, <laughs> it, 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 that is just fine. We're talking with New York Times best-selling author A.J. Jacobs. Do you think there's any value to the non-journalists living in people trying to embark on these kind of journal, uh, these kind of experiments in their own life for instance the living biblically the reading of the encyclopedia the uh george washington tips is there anything to be gained by people trying to do these experiments in their own life not for public exhibition but just sort of for a personal challenge i love that question and the answer as you might suspect is yes i am a huge advocate of people doing more experiments in their life and they don't have to be you know year long you don't have to grow a beard and throw stones at adulterers which i did i threw pebbles but um you, i think that the advantage is we get stuck in these ruts in these uh, and it's in our brains as well these neural ruts and if you want to remain a creative thinker experiments are mm. wonderful and they could be small they could be trying a new toothpaste they could be Go walking a different way to work. They could be not gossiping for 24 hours. Uh, the the, the, the uh, possibilities are endless, but it really does make life, I think, more interesting and, and it improves you. So I was really interested in the story in the New York Times a week or two ago, trying to live a day without plastic. And in, in spite of the history that you have in engaging in long-term experiments that may last six months or a year, this one was just 24 hours, but apparently it was equally as challenging. We remember the famous line in The Graduate where uh, the, the great advice that Dustin Hoffman gets at his graduation party... I just want to say one word to you. Just one word. Yes, sir. Are you listening? Yes, I am. Plastics. Exactly. How do you mean? There's a great future in plastics. 
Think about it. Will you think about it? Yes, I will. I've said that's a deal. What um what made you choose plastics? Why would you abstain from plastics of all things for twenty four hours? Well, first of all, Dustin Hoffman and should have taken that advice if he wanted to make money because plastics <laughs> exactly. have just become huge. And that was part of the impetus of the article is that they are literally everywhere. I mean, I was blown away by how ubiquitous plastics are. Uh, and uh, and the idea was, well, let's show how ubiquitous they are by trying to go without them for an entire day. And it was impossible. It was impossible. I broke it within the first 10 seconds because I put my feet on the floor and my my rug is made of plastic. It's made of acrylic. And then I open the door and my doorknob is metal, but it's coated with plastic. So the idea was just to show how much it is everywhere and uh, and can we go without some of it? You know, some of it is fine. Some of it, uh, you know, solar panels are made of plastic. We don't want to get uh, medical devices. You don't want to get rid of it all. But, but certainly the single-use plastics, uh, you know, I was shocked when I thought how much I actually go through in a year, like a 1,000 bags a year. Uh, and that is uh, what I think we can work on. Before we get into the why, uh, let's talk about how the actual experiment w- went. You talk about how you had a real difficult time, even within minutes of starting your plastic-free day, you violated it, and you kept violating it and uh, quickly realized that you were violating it. What would you say the greatest challenge was in your plastic-free day? Well, it's the whole day was exhausting because I had to think every moment I was like, is this, is this have plastic and this? And usually the answer was yes. So even just brushing my teeth, my, my morning, den, my morning hygiene, I couldn't use a toothbrush cause that's made of plastic. So I, I had to buy this bamboo toothbrush and the bristles were made of uh, hog hair which I was told was sterilized, so I hope that's true. You can't use a, a tube of toothpaste because that's plastic. So there are these places that will sell you toothpaste pellets that are like little pills, and you pop them in your mouth. Uh, mm. But everything, the shampoo is made of plastic, so I had to use what's called a shampoo bar that's like a bar of soap. Uh, I, when I went out to, for errands, what do I do? I couldn't... Um, I couldn't use my credit card. I couldn't use my iPhone to pay. Uh, so I, uh, I I couldn't even use cash because cash, I found, has little strands of plastic in it to stop counterfeiters. So I had to carry around a big sack of coins. So I felt like I was in the 1800s or something. <laughs> you write, and I would never would have thought of this, but even when you stepped out of bed and your feet hit the carpet, you were violating this because... The carpet has plastic in it. I ha- I would have had no idea that that's the case. Yeah, the carpets, most carpets have plastic, and not just and the clothes. That's what really shocked me. You know, I I knew that you had the poly cotton t-shirts, but for instance, I had this Banana Republic uh, pair of khakis, and it said 100% cotton. But to make sure, I called Banana Republic, and sure enough, there's plastic lurking everywhere. And your pants, it's in the pockets, uh, it's in the uh, waistband, on the label. So even things that claim that they're not plastic often are hiding tons of the stuff. 
Wow. Uh, that is uh, really, it really makes you think about how ubiquitous plastic is. Just give folks, because I think all of us that encounter plastic 9,000 times a day, we, it's easy for us to just assume plastic has always been there and will always be there. But plastic historically is actually a relatively new thing. Where did plastic come from? What's its history? Yeah, plastic was just, it was, it's only been around about 100 years. One of the most fascinating and ironic parts of this that I didn't even write in the article is the first commercial use of plastic was to help the environment, to help wildlife, because billiard balls in England were made of ivory tusk, elephant ivory, and they they were killing all the elephants, so they needed something to replace it. And that is one of the first uses of plastic. Uh, but obviously it grew from there. And, and in the beginning, it was a love affair. People thought, oh, this is fantastic. This is, you know, and it was even considered fancy and something mm. of a, um, uh, you know, a status symbol. But now it's uh, just become everywhere. And, uh, and we've fallen out of love with it. But it is certainly, we can't, it's a toxic relationship because we can't get rid of it. It's everywhere. Oh no! It's uh, I looking around the room that I'm in now, and every every direction that I turn my head, there's plastic, plastic, plastic. If people are just tuning in, we're talking with AJ Jacobs, talking about his most recent article in which he tried to go plastic free for 24 hours. He's also got a new book out, uh, which we're going to talk about. It's called The Puzzler. How did plastic go from a relatively novel thing that was considered uh, fancy and for the elites to creeping into every aspect of our lives? How did it explode in terms of popularity? Well, it's just so useful and it's so light and it can be turned into any shape. It can be soft or it can be hard, depending on what chemicals you add. And it is an amazing thing. I, I don't want the message of the article just to be plastic is terrible. Some plastic is fantastic. As I said, some plastic helps the environment. Wind turbines are made of plastic. Um, Airplanes have plastic parts which are lighter, so it saves fuel. So it sometimes can be good for the environment. The problem is that there is single-use plastic has gone out of control. The UN says that we create 400 million tons of plastic trash a year. And half of that, so 200 million tons, are single-use, things that you were supposed to use once and throw away. Cups, uh, packaging, um, uh, you know, the the straws that everyone uh, is upset about, uh, bags. So these are the things that I think we can make a difference. What does research actually show about the dangers of plastic? Environmentally is something that you've touched upon, but we've also learned a great deal health-wise about the uh, possible dangers of plastic. What does the conclusive research and the conclusive evidence show? Yeah, well, I'm not a scientist, um, so I wouldn't want to say conclusive, but there is strong research showing that certain types of plastic and plastic additives uh, really mess with our um, our system, our uh, endocrine endocrine system. Uh, so BPA, for instance, is one of the worst, and that's uh, being banned in various places. But we got to get rid of it completely. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, it is something to be very uh, careful with. Certainly, don't put plastics in the microwave. I would not use Teflon pans or any kind of nonstick pans. 
because there is evidence that it, you know it'll leach into your food. So things like that. I'm not an expert on it, so I would mm. go read someone else who is. But uh, I would say. Be careful, especially in terms of food. You don't want to ingest the stuff. And environmentally, I guess the big problem is that it doesn't biodegrade. So every piece of plastic that's ever been created is still sticking around with us somewhere. Exactly. And uh, and only 9% of it gets recycled. Uh, and the recycling is not always a perfect solution. 14% of it gets burned. So that just adds to the uh the CO2 problem. Uh, so yeah, it is, it is forever, which is part of its allure. You know, it's, a, it's mm. an amazing material, but it's also uh, like filling our oceans. And I even have a, a shirt that I bought for this project that says, keep our seas plastic free, but the shirt is 10% polyester. So they couldn't <laughs> even keep the plastic out of the shirt. Uh, talking with A.J. Jacobs. I, I've linked to this article. People could check it out on my Facebook page, facebook.com slash MoranoFan. With the understanding that you're not a scientist, but you did talk to a lot of experts about this, uh, with the exception of the microwave oven situation that you just mentioned, do you think that people should reduce the amount of plastic in their own lives for health reasons? For instance, I'm drinking from a reusable plastic water bottle right now. Should I not be doing that? Oh, yeah, I would. I would recommend getting a metal water bottle. I mean, water bottles are one of the easiest things to uh, to change, really low-hanging fruit. But, uh, so yeah, I would say don't buy the plastic water bottles. And if you do, even the water bottle companies say don't reuse those. So just reuse, you know, get yourself a nice steel one, and uh, they can be pretty cheap. Uh, so, yeah, I would say that. And then the other health uh, issue that people are concerned about is microplastics. And these are very yeah. tiny little pieces of plastic that are uh, invisible to the naked eye, but they are everywhere. They're in our oceans. They're in our water. They're in our air. And we don't know yet. The health impacts. It might be nothing. The scientists say, you know, we process a lot of stuff with our body, so it could be fine. But there is a chance that they are also messing with uh, our systems. So we should, the scientists all I, I talk to say, don't panic yet. Don't panic yet. Maybe don't change your behavior yet because they're everywhere. But in a few years, we should know more. And so I'm crossing my fingers that microplastics don't mess with us, uh, but we will see. What is, aside from the water bottle tip that you just mentioned to get rid of my plastic water bottle and replace it with a steel one, what is a positive step or two that people can make in their own lives if they want to reduce the amount of plastic they're encountering or the amount of plastic they're using? Yeah, that's a good one. And because it, don't do what I did. That's what I say. I tried to do it all at once, and it just never works. It's overwhelming. So all of the behavioral scientists say, take one small habit and get used to that. And once you master that, take on another small habit. So the uh, the steel water can carrying that around, that's a good, uh, easy habit to start with. Another one is many people bring their own bags to groceries, but sometimes uh, I realize 
I, I also use the produce bag. So I'll bring like a mm. cloth bag and go through 20 plastic bags to fill up my uh, produce. So they do sell these little cloth produce bags. So that might be something, uh, sort of a second step you want to consider. Uh, and uh, and again, just try. You know, you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do what I did. Uh, just making little steps is uh, is better than nothing. It's always very controversial whenever any local government tries to do anything to limit plastic. Obviously, I think the highest profile example of this is the movement to ban plastic straws in different places. In New York, a week or two ago, the city council just voted to not allow people to have uh, plastic cutlery in their takeout unless folks request it. What else is government doing, either on a national level, a local level, or whatever else, to reduce the amount of plastic that's being consumed? Yeah, that is a good point, because it should not be all on the shoulders of individuals. It's got to be at the level of policy. And it's also, I am very optimistic about market-based solutions, Mm. like uh, people coming up with bioplastics made of plants uh, that are, they have, and if they're done well, they have a lower impact, they cost less, uh, less energy to make, they are not a health hazard. So uh, I am really hoping that the government gives a lot of incentives to these big companies like Dow to really go hard into healthier bioplastics and plastic alternatives because uh yeah it's it's going to be hard for us to uh save the world by not using by using paper straws which everyone mm-hmm. hates and they just get in your mouth and it's like sawdust it's awful. everyone awful. gets annoyed and then they and then it's like worse for the environment because everyone's angry uh, well, I do recommend that people check out the article. It's really interesting. Tell me about your new book, The Puzzler, One Man's Quest to Solve the Most Baffling Puzzles Ever from Crosswords to Jigsaws to the Meaning of Life. I haven't read it. I'm looking forward to getting a copy of it. But what was the impetus of it? Well, thanks, Frank. Uh, it's because I am a huge puzzle geek uh, and I have been all my life. Uh, I started with crosswords, but... I am not monogamous. I also love uh, uh, Sudoku and the spelling bee and mazes and puzzle boxes. So this is a deep dive into the incredibly delightful but dorky world of puzzles and the geniuses who make them. And and it's got hundreds of puzzles in it, and it's got um, new and old classic puzzles, and uh, and it's filled with uh, my adventures like going to Spain and competing in the world jigsaw puzzle championship uh, against 40 other countries. And uh, my team, which is my family, we placed second to last, second to last. I wanted to pause (laughs) there to give you some hope. (laughs) (laughs) Well, so I am a, um, I don't know. I'll say less than average jigsaw puzzle completer. I would say a mediocre crossword puzzle completer. I don't know that I do many other puzzles on a regular basis, but when you do a whole bunch of these puzzles, as it sounds like you did for this book, do you get better or are you kind of always at the level of puzzle skill that you start at? Oh no, you definitely can improve. And I have, because yeah, I just, 
I started doing crosswords in earnest just about 10 years ago, and I could I couldn't finish a Monday puzzle in the New York Times, which is the easiest. And it took me years. But now I can I finish the Saturday, not always quickly, but I finish it. It's really like learning a language. It's like learning uh, a new way of thinking. And I do think it's got huge advantages in keeping your mind uh, flexible and uh yeah, it's fun. It's it, sometimes it's um, masochistic fun, but it is fun. But um, you still finished second to last when you were <laughs> po- placed against other puzzlers. Specialty, that's right. Yes, big puzzler. Uh, uh, but uh, but I enjoyed it. We enjoyed uh, getting pummeled. I am looking forward to uh, checking out the book. It's called The Puzzler. AJ Jacobs, it's always a treat to talk with you. Uh, next time, we got to get you in studio. Whatever, Whenever you feel like spending a late night with us, maybe that could be the subject of uh, a future book Ooh. or article, your uh, exactly. challenge of, uh, of uh, staying up all night in the city that never sleeps. <laughs> Love it. Well, thanks, Frank. It's always a joy. And yes, I'll see you in person next time. That would be great. Ooh. We'll look forward to it. Thank you. AJ Jacobs, check out the book, check out the article. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a, me a call, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano.